Morning, everyone. Morning. Good to see you all. If you don't know me, yeah, my name's Dan. Uh, I'm one of our leaders here, and it's my joy uh, to bring God's word to us this morning. It's great the sun's out as well, isn't it? It just makes everyone smile. Uh, I wonder how many of you have glasses or wear contact lenses. I don't need a show of hands, but... Or maybe how many of you, like Emily, should be, potentially, but I won't make too much of that. <laughs> Uh, you know when you go to the opticians and you kind of take that rather humiliating eye test where you start off so well at the top and you go down and down and down and no matter how hard you try, you just can't read those last few lines. Or maybe more than the last few lines. And they're just impossible. You squint, you lean forwards, just a little, but no matter what you do, you can't figure out whether that bottom letter is a C or an O. Uh, and then maybe you decided you need glasses or you were told you needed glasses. Uh, for those of you who have been through that process, uh, maybe if you can remember back to that point where you stepped outside with your glasses on uh, and you remember walking down a street you hadn't walked down before and you start to see things you hadn't seen before. Uh, maybe you get clarity that you hadn't had before. Maybe you look out and you see some text on a sign that you just hadn't seen before. You go, wow. I pray this morning is that that, how, that is how some of us will feel when we look at this passage. My prayer is that some of you will say, wow, I see Jesus. Lucy, when we were praying, had a picture uh, this morning as well, which just ties in so nicely. She said, some of us will feel like we've only taken shallow breaths when we've looked at Jesus. And her prayer was that this morning we will take deep breaths and see and swallow more of who Jesus is. This passage is one of the greatest exaltations of Jesus in the whole Bible. Maybe the greatest. It's described as the Mount Everest of Christ exalting scriptures. It's amazing. It's my pleasure to help us see Jesus in it this morning. Uh, but I guess the big question is, is so what? Before we jump in and read the passage, let me give you a quick introduction. Jack did such an awesome job last week of kind of going through the first chunk of this letter, uh, but let me uh, set the scene for today. So Colossians, it's a little book, uh, roughly in the middle of the New Testament in the Bible. It's a letter to a church, the church in Colossae, and it was written to followers of Jesus uh, in that church. It was written by a guy called Paul around 60 to 62 AD. And it was written when people were still alive who had seen Jesus rise from the dead and who knew Jesus. They were still alive. This letter, the book of Colossians, has about four chapters, 95 verses, and it has one purpose. And the one purpose of this letter is the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. The purpose of this letter is the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus, that Jesus is supreme big topic. So Paul's writing this letter to a church in a town called Colossae, which is about 100 miles uh, from Ephesus, uh, which is another town, another church, where Paul spent some of his time building up that church. We don't think he actually ever uh, went to this church in Colossae, but we know the impact of his ministry definitely would have reached that town. A church was born, and the people were doing well. They're doing good. And we see that in the first part of chapter one. They were following Jesus. They were growing in their faith. 
but there was a problem. There was a problem in Colossae, and that's why this letter is written. It's, we have to have that lens as we approach this passage today. We want to put this letter in the place where there was a problem. Jack helpfully unpacked some of that last week. There was a threat to the early church. They were growing in their faith. They'd heard about the gospel. They'd heard about the grace of God in Jesus. But some of the guys had come into the story and started threatening their pure faith that they had in Jesus. They started questioning and instructing that Jesus wasn't enough, that simply through faith in him wasn't enough. Something which I guarantee is happening all around us too. Colossians isn't just about something that happened to those in Colossae. It's God's way of speaking to us, to you, to me this morning too. All of this amazing book, this letter, is here to draw us closer to Jesus and to help us know him too. So what was that threat? Well, the threat primarily was that Jesus is less than God. So the deity of Jesus was under attack. His nature, his divine status was under attack. In the church of Jesus, in Colossae, they were starting to say that Jesus is fine. He's a nice guy. He's done good, but he's less than God. He may be better than some angels, maybe not all the angels. He's definitely not equal with almighty God. And therefore, he wasn't all-sufficient, and he wasn't supreme, and he wasn't able to save. Remember, this really wasn't that long after the resurrection, and all sorts of rumours were starting to spread. Paul wanted to bring and help these people come back to the truth of who Jesus is, what he's done. And so Paul's letter here is about showing the church Jesus, simply showing him as supreme, to help them and us see Jesus as sufficient for all things in every way in our lives. That is really, it really was Jesus plus nothing. That's the title of our series, Jesus plus nothing. So let's read this passage together. Let's read the word. Let's expect the Holy Spirit to speak to us and bring this passage alive for us this morning. So we're reading from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20, and the words will be on the screen. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things on heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Amen. Huge passage, full of many of those wow moments. But let me come back to that question. So what? So what if this is one of the greatest descriptions of Jesus in all of the Bible? Last week, 
the verses before this passage that Jack walked us through. Uh, it was Paul's prayer for the Colossians and for us, which starts in Colossians 1 verse 9. It's the connection between this prayer and today's text about the supremacy of Jesus, which helps us answer that so what question. Paul prays in Colossians 1, 11 to 12, uh, that we would be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father. Joy marks our patient endurance in these days, and God willing, to the very end. Serious joy, thankful to our Heavenly Father to the very end. But how can we have thankful, joyful hearts as we patiently endure these days? Paul goes on and answers, because the Father who qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Our inheritance is a new world where night will be no more and there will be no need for sun or moon for the glory of God gives it light. Colossians Verse, uh, chapter 1 verse 13 adds that we have already entered into that kingdom of light for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves and it goes on and we get the reason that we guilty sinners can enter into that kingdom of everlasting light and joy it's because in Jesus in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins he paid the ransom with his blood for our forgiveness. By faith we are united to him and his sacrifice covers all our mistakes, all our mess, our sin. Paul's prayer in these verses is that we would endure this life with joyful thankfulness. Everything this fallen world throws at us until Jesus comes. And that is how Jack ended last week, calling us to be thankful, causing, causing us to share our joy and the reasons for our thankfulness in Christ. The reason we can endure with joyful thankfulness, Paul says, is because he has qualified us for an eternity of light and love, not darkness. And the way he has done that is by paying the price for the forgiveness of all of our sins through Jesus' death and bringing us already into the kingdom of his son, of Jesus. And at this point, Paul is so full of awareness that our thankful, joyful, patient endurance depends on the greatness of the redemption of Jesus and the greatness of the reign of Jesus that he launches into this passage today, the greatest tribute to the supremacy of Jesus in the Bible. Many would say these verses are a poem or even a song, a hymn in the early church. So these are powerful, awesome verses of Jesus. And if your mind and heart are captured with the greatness and the beauty and the worth of Jesus Christ in these verses, you will endure the challenges of this life with patience and joyful thankfulness. That's what Paul's saying. The supremacy of Jesus is meant to sustain us, sustain our joy through patient endurance. That is the answer to so what. That gives us the context this morning as to why. So having that in the backs of our minds let's look at the supremacy of Jesus in these verses. There are all sorts of commentaries and scholars who have pulled out so much from these five verses. 
got lost this kind of last few weeks as I've looked at this and studied it. There is so much richness and truth in these verses. We could do a whole preaching series on these verses, taking each verse week by week. Uh, but this morning I'd like to pull out seven aspects of Jesus. And I'm going to fairly go quite high level, therefore, because we only have 20 minutes. Uh, but I also pray that there's some depth here, because these are big things. So number one, Jesus is God. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, from verse 19. And even more clearly, I guess if we jump forward into Colossians 2, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. We see that the Son is said to possess the fullness of Godness. He is fully God. And Jesus, the divine Son, came to earth, clothed himself with humanity. He has a body and a human nature. We call this the incarnation of Jesus, the Son of God. There is now and forever a God-man. God the Son never lays down his body. He rises from the dead with it. He ascends with it. He possesses it in the heaven today, glorified. We can read that in Philippians 3. And he will return visibly in his body. They could see him and touch him while he was on the earth. And we will see him when he comes again. I think this is what Paul means in Colossians uh, 115, when it says the sun is the image of the invisible God. God is invisible. He is spirit. But Jesus is not invisible. He is the visible God. It means that if we want to know what God is like, then we look at Jesus. He's the one who makes the invisible God visible. In John 14, we read that one of Jesus' disciples, Philip, once said to him, Lord, show us the Father. And Jesus replied, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. If we want to know what God is like, we just need to know Jesus, because Jesus is God. Imagine a mirror, just as a mirror reflects the image of the person, or a monkey, couldn't help it when I found it, it's standing in front of it. Jesus reflects the image of God the Father. When we look at Jesus, we see a perfect reflection of the Father's character, his nature, his attributes. Just as a mirror cannot exist without the object it reflects, Jesus cannot exist without God the Father. The mirror analogy can help us understand this relationship between the Father and the Son. They are distinct, yet inseparable. Just as the mirror and the person it reflects are not the same, but are intimately connected, so too are the Father and the Son. In the Gospel of Matthew, we, we read that when the eleven saw him, they worshipped him. Do you? Is your Jesus big enough and clear enough and supreme enough that you treasure him more highly than any other reality? Wow, Jesus. Do you see him? Number two, Jesus is before all things. Colossians 1 verse 17, he is before all things. I invite you to ponder the fact that before there was anything else, Jesus was. 
For example, this draws our attention to the fact that Jesus' relationship to the things that are not Jesus is very different from our relationship to things that are not us. We think that we are creators. Many of us are, but we're not really. Not the way that Jesus is. When we make things, when we design things, we rearrange what's already there. We rearrange chemicals to make medicine. We rearrange materials and make a house. We take ingredients and create some tasty food. We take words and music and create songs. Many of you will have enjoyed the breadth of that last night, potentially. (laughs) When Jesus brought creation into existence, he didn't rearrange anything because he was before all things. There wasn't anything to arrange. Jesus is absolute reality. Everything is secondary. John's Gospel starts with those well-known verses that we read at Christmas often. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. We know from later in that chapter that the word here is Jesus. So let me say it this way. In the beginning was Jesus. And Jesus was with God. And Jesus was God. He was with God in the beginning. Jesus didn't come into existence in a stable in Bethlehem. He existed before the world was created. He existed before time began, which means he's eternal just like God the Father. You see, before creation began, before anything had been created, before there was anything, there was God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. One God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's amazing. So it leads nicely on to my third point, that Jesus created everything. Jesus wasn't just there, hanging around until the Father created the world. He was involved. We see in these verses, don't we? For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Just think about that for a moment. It's telling us that Jesus created the entire universe. Had you grasped that before? Long before he was a human being, born as Jesus, what we often think about, the Son of God, was there as creator. Back to those well-known verses in John's Gospel, the next verse, John 1 verse 3, says, Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has not been made. So when we talk about the birth of Jesus... It's vital we remember that Jesus did not exist when Mary did not begin to exist when Mary fell pregnant. Instead, he had been the master and owner of the universe since he helped make it. You see, at Christmas we aren't celebrating Jesus coming into existence. We're celebrating the birth of the founder of the universe. The nativity story is so powerful in so many ways. But it also massively oversimplifies things. We must not mistake Jesus just as a baby. He has existed for eternity. He created everything that we know. All the animals, all of us, the breadth, the complexity of the universe. 
A couple of months ago, as a family, we started using the Electio for Families app uh, from 24-7 Prayer to help us with devotions for our kids, uh, particularly Lauren, our eldest daughter. And probably just as a complete tangent, really, I just really highly recommend this app for those of you with kids. Uh, We've read the Bible with our kids since they were small, but this app has just helped us because we kept having to come back to what's the next devotion that we're going to read after we get through uh, something that we've got. Uh, It's just great. There are different topics each week, great questions which encourage conversation, simple prayers, memory verses. It's fun. Uh, But honestly, it's helping transform my relationship with Jesus as well as Lauren's as we discuss and chat each night. And this week is part of a bigger series looking at God's wisdom throughout the Old Testament. But specifically this week, we've been looking at creativity, which is just tied in so nicely. And this this week's memory verse has been Psalm 33, verse 6, which Lauren would love to tell you, probably not because she'll get caught off guard, but she loves it. And it says, The Lord merely spoke, and the heavens were created. He breathed the word, and all the stars were born. He assigned the sea its boundaries and locked the ocean oceans in vast reservoirs. Beautiful. But as I was preparing, I flicked a verse earlier, and it stood out. It said, The unfailing love of the Lord fills the earth. His love flows through all of creation. It's no wonder all of creation cries out holy. We were singing those words this morning. It's no wonder creation displays his beauty because he created everything. He didn't just create and sit back though because Jesus holds everything together. Jesus holds everything together. Our next point. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. Jesus doesn't just bring everything that is into being. He holds everything that is in being. This may strike home to help us feel the way we ought, even more than knowing that he is creator. It certainly does for me. Hour by hour, the reason you do not fly into a billion fragments and then vanish is because Jesus holds you together. This is true of everything in the universe. Everything that we have ever made and every body of every man and woman and child and every mountain and ocean and cloud and supernova all would cease to be if Jesus did not hold them in being. The fabric of the universe, the stuff of our bodies, this building, this ground on which we stand, it's all held together by Jesus. It's all sustained by Jesus. If Jesus wasn't doing that, the universe would disintegrate. It would cease to exist. He holds together the chair you're sitting on, the clothing you wear, the food you eat, the skin that covers your bones. As your creator, you might think he is distant, having done that work some time ago. But no. To confess that in him, your very body and soul, millisecond by millisecond, held in being is another matter. Wow. He is not distant. You are personally and radically dependent on Jesus, even if you don't know him. Now, if you're a scientist, maybe you'll respond, but the laws of physics hold the universe together. You know what? I totally agree. Uh, But remember that before what I said, 
Jesus was the creator. Well, the creator of the whole universe wrote the laws of physics. And they hold the constant. They hold constant because he holds them constant. That's what in him all things hold together means. And because he holds them constant, we live in a predictable, measurable, observable universe. Therefore, science works. Because Jesus holds all things together. It's one of those wow moments. It's hard to grasp. Whether or not you think the leaders of our country are doing well at holding things together or not, they're far from what Jesus is doing. Jesus is holding the entire universe together. Just ponder on that for a moment. But we also know that Jesus created everything to display his glory. All things have been created through him and for him. What does for him mean? It can't mean in order to meet his needs. To be God means to have no needs. Acts 17 says he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. We can see in Colossians 1 verse 18, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. He he does everything he does in order to put his supremacy, his glory on display. Jesus created everything and sustains everything for the glory of Jesus. This is why the universe came into being, to put the supremacy and the glory and his glory, Christ's glory on display. It's all for him. That means all those philosophers, maybe some of you out there, are trying to make sense of life, no matter how clever or profound their ideas, if they haven't got Jesus at the centre of their system, they've missed the point. All of creation is for him. That's why we exist. We're for him too. Because if all of creation exists for Jesus, then how can we ever claim to know the purpose of our lives if we don't know Jesus for ourselves? So to answer one of those big life questions, why are we here? What's the purpose of my life, our lives? It's for the glory of Jesus. He created us and sustains us for his glory. And just in case you think that makes an egomaniac out of Jesus, I just want to jump quite quickly into my next two attributes of Jesus in relation not to creation, but to the church. Because in the second part of these verses today, uh, we can see that Jesus leads his church. Jesus loves you. We read, He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. And then, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. It's the glory of being the head that supplies every need that the church has for everlasting holiness and joy. It's the glory not of being the only one to rise from the dead, but the first one to rise from the dead, bringing with him millions upon millions of people who will be delivered from the bondage of death and brought into the new world of everlasting joy with him. It's the glory of shedding his blood 
dying on the cross to make peace, to show his love for you, to bring a new world with a new heaven and a new earth where we will get to be with him for eternity. He is supreme as the beginning of the new creation, as he rises first from the dead for the the first of millions. He is supreme as the one whose blood secures a new heaven and a new earth where everything is reconciled and at peace with God. Here's what changes the whole idea of Jesus being an egomaniac. When we say that Jesus has created everything for the glory of Jesus, the peak, the top, the main focus of that glory is the glory of grace towards his people, towards us. The fact that Jesus can live amongst us to put on flesh, to show the world the Father, to then die and rise so that in all of our mess, our brokenness, we can be forgiven, so that we can live in relationship with him forever. A famous quote from Tim Keller, a preacher and writer, says, God sees us as we are, loves us as we are, and accepts us as we are. But by his grace, he does not leave us as we are. Jesus isn't an egomaniac. He's the total opposite. His glory is so evidently shown through the glory of grace towards us. Many of you know me and know that I'm passionate about helping us grasp something of the reality of eternity with God and helping lift our eyes up beyond the here and now. I spoke a couple of months ago on the joy of eternity in our Kingdom of God series. Uh, It's so important that we keep our eyes lifted to what Jesus has made possible. That well-known verse from John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus has enabled this. The glory of Jesus is the glory of grace towards us, giving us an invitation to know him and be with him for eternity. Wow, Jesus. So let me recap and start to draw us to a close. But Jesus is our God. He isn't less than God. He is God. And by knowing and seeing Jesus, we can know and see the Father Jesus is before all things. Right from the beginning, Jesus was with the Father. He created everything, everything. All things were created by him, including you and me. He knows us because he created us. But he goes further because he holds everything together. All of that he created, he held in perfect tension by him, everything to display his glory, all that he created to display his glory. And Jesus leads his church. He leads us. The church is always his plan to outwork and display his glory. And he loves you. He died and shed his blood to show his love for us. This is love. It is the glory of grace It's the glory of Jesus supplying everything his church needs to be holy, happy, and with him forever. It's the glory of triumphing over death in bringing us into everlasting life. 
It's the glory of establishing a new heaven and a new earth of peace and reconciliation by blood on the cross. Jesus is supreme over creation, supreme over eternity, supreme over the church. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is all we could ever need. He is our all-sufficient, supreme saviour. Wow. Do you see Jesus this morning? I certainly do. But let me go back to that so what question we started out with. What he wants from us, as I said, is the answer to Paul's prayer that we started out today with, that we would be strengthened for all endurance and patience, living with joyful thanks because we have embraced Jesus because he first embraced us. We have our whole future, an eternity with him, with this Jesus, the Jesus that we've been talking about this morning, that we would be strengthened for all endurance and patience, living with joyful thanks because we have embraced Jesus, because he first embraced us. Do you see Jesus? This morning, as my prayer at the start would be that for many of us, our eyes would see more of Jesus, to see more of him, to maybe see him for the first time, to know him and his glorious grace for us, to know him as creator, to know him as sustainer, to know him as the one that started and ends all things, the one that's with us right here, who loves us. He's our God. He's before all things. He created everything and holds it all together to display his glory to show his love through his sacrifice on the cross. Let's come before him this morning. Let's give praise to Jesus, the one who created, the one that gave it all for us, that died and rose again so that we could be known by him and be with him for eternity. Let me finish by saying this as I was preparing yesterday. I just wrote these words down. It says, Jesus created it all. Then Jesus paid it all so that we can know him. I invite the band back up. We're known by him. We're loved by him. We're welcomed by him. We're forgiven by him. We're accepted by him. Because it's all for him and his glory. Nothing else, no one else. Jesus plus nothing. He loves you because he created you and he sustains you. And he wants you to know him deeper and greater this morning. Let me pray. And then I think for me, my only response is to worship. Uh, as we saw the disciples did, as I said earlier, the 11 saw him and they just worshipped because he is all powerful. Father God, thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you, thank you. Lord, help us to digest these powerful words. Help us to know Jesus more this morning. Thank you that you created and that you created us, that you know us.
that you love us. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to die and rising again so that we could live in eternity with you, in relationship with you. It's all for you. We love you, Lord. Amen. Let's worship. <laughs>